Our reading this morning begins this way. I miss a deadline. Instead of asking for an extension, I ghost the editor. I forget I have plans with someone, or I forget to return the call of an old friend or a family member. Instead of sending a quick, I'm sorry, I avoid them, and then stare at their Facebook page, wondering if they hate me. I roll over from a nap to see that the event I really wanted to attend already started. Instead of regrouping and finding a way to go anyway, I burst into tears and go back to sleep. My guilt complex is so destructive. It consumes me to the point of irrationality. And in that irrational place, I make even more decisions that make me feel even guiltier. It's a cycle that's seemingly impossible to end. Breaking my guilt cycle requires something I'm not that good at doing, admitting I'm human. Admitting that sometimes I let people down and sometimes I let myself down. Admitting that I overestimate what I can do or how much time I have to do it. When I recognize my humanity, I feel vulnerable and that vulnerability reminds me that I'm not in control, a reminder I fear more than anything. My guilt masks tender parts of me I'm not always ready to reveal, the parts of me that need forgiveness and affirmation on my worst days, the parts of me that long to know I don't need to be perfect to be worthy of love and care, the parts of me that want to be enough even on the days it doesn't feel possible. Here we are again in this world. It's beautiful today. Can we have worship outside, said like 40 people? (laughs) In this beautiful and sometimes often difficult maybe world, We are asked to keep our hearts soft and keep our eyes tender and keep our words true because this is what you and I are about. We know there is no answer but to love each other and we bear witness against unnecessary destruction. And we gather here together in community to practice being the person that we look in the mirror and we say, I wanna be this person. We cannot do everything here in the suburbs or anywhere, but we can do something and that something is never nothing. So in the startup of September where all the to-do dates and promises come due, let us forget our perfect offering there is a crack in everything. And say with me, that is how the light gets in. 29 years ago this August, I packed up my black beater Volkswagen Scirocco. It had gold wheels and gold pinstripes And I followed my parents across the Mississippi River north up through Illinois to the little liberal arts college that uh, 
across the state line in Wisconsin to begin my freshman year of college. In the back of the car as a hatchback were all the clothes that I owned to limit the number of laundry visits I would have to make, a new coat for the Wisconsin winter, all of my bike stuff, and a travel-size iron, an ironing board that my mom insisted that she buy for me because press shirts and khakis are exactly the kind of vibe that impresses in a crunchy, liberal, hippie, liberal arts college, right? Before we left, she even ironed my socks. <laughs> and my underwear. It was late August, so of course in the Midwest it is unbearably hot. It was, it was like 97 degrees. The Scirocco did not have air conditioning. So the windows were down and all the hair I had then that I don't have now was flapping in the wind. It was just like, whoosh, like you know, it's like a, like a movie, right? The Scirocco had this little temperature gauge, this engine temperature gauge on the council right in the center. And as we sped past the rows of corn and the fields of soybean, I watched as the needle began to climb and climb. Damn, you know, it was probably the weight of the iron and the ironing board that tipped it over the edge. Now, we're still 18 years before the iPhone era, so the only communication I have to get my parents' attention is the universal symbol of what? Flashing your high beams. No horn, it's like there's trucks, that doesn't even work. You gotta flash your high beams. So flash, 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 and Mom and dad and sister and brother, because of course the entire family went. <laughs> they all pull over to the side of the highway and the shoulder, and dad asks me to pop the hood. But like me, when I became a dad, he doesn't know what he's looking at. <laughs> but that never stops him or any parent, does it? Oh no. I think it's fine, he says. <laughs> but it's overheating, I say. Well, that's because it's hot, he says. <laughs> Dad logic. He says, let's go a little further and see what happens. <laughs> I'm 18 at this point, but I'm st I can still eye roll like a champion. can't wait to be on my own, I mutter. What he says? <laughs> Nothing. Well, five miles later, the needle's in the red again. And so again, I'm going flash, 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 flash. And we pull over. And he asks me to pop the hood. And he peers in and he, and he <laughs> he touches stuff, <laughs> right? You like check the hose or something and he sears his fingers. I've got an idea, he says. The engine is holding too much heat. You think? 
I say, the sarcasm simmering. And then he lets out this like stream of curse words. Nate, like bleep, 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 bleep. Nate, listen, we need to take some heat off the engine. I want you to turn the heat on. Turn the heat on. It's like 95 degrees. I've got jeans on. Now, I was wearing jeans because they were ripped and they were cool. I had worn them out because I wanted to make a good impression on the first, like, of all these new kids. So I'm wearing jeans. I've got jeans on, I say. That's not going to work. I'm not going to do that. It's a stupid idea. And then he lets out this whole other stream of curse words. Nate, yes, it will. Just do what I tell you. And then he says, you'll be rid of me soon. Oh, the memory of that. That hurt me. That hurts me. Him feeling like that, the two of us. We're screaming at each other on the shoulder of Highway 81. Screaming at each other. Maybe you have a memory like this of someone in your family. Do you? The, the, the sting of it, as Jeff read, the, the guilt of it. I know you've got a memory. Well, three hours later, we pull into campus, and I'm, I'm, I'm like covered in sweat. But Dad's little MacGyver trick worked. The needle never hovered back up into the red. But such was the strain between the two of us, years in the making, that I, I couldn't give him that victory. couldn't give him the victory. Maybe you've done something like that too. So instead, the whole family went into nesting mode and mom, like, she, she stacked all of my folded socks and ironed underwear and all of this stuff into the drawers and dad took out his tools to hammer stuff into the cinder block walls. My younger siblings stacked books and plugged in the black and white TV. It's 1990, my friends. <laughs> and pretty soon it was time to say goodbye. And they turning around, they were going to do the drive back down to St. Louis. It was seven hours back then because the highway wasn't finished. Seven hours to get back. They had to go back that night because... Time was crunched and jobs and school waited and life beckoned because it, there's never enough time, is there? There's never enough time. And that was fine by me. I was ready to be independent. I'm a man now. I'm 18. So I high-five my little brother, he was 11, 
and I hugged my little sister. She was uh, 15, and I hugged my mom, and she squeezed me into her like a sponge. And I shook my dad's hand. You notice, of course, how neatly and, and sadly divided, gender divided, the affection is, don't you? And when the goodbyes are all done and, and, uh, and they walk out, they walk out, finally, they walk out. And I close that dorm room fireproof door and I put my hand on the wood and I rest my head against the wood and the tears of separation finally fall out. And in between my muffled cry, I swear to you, I think I hear or maybe I feel him on the other side of the door, up close, just like me. The two of us were, were sensing each other through the inch and a half of, of wood. We're, we're so close, but, but we're so far apart. We're so far apart, but we're, we're so close. I bet you have somebody in your family like this. Are you with me? And several minutes later, I'm looking outside the window and I see the, I see the car. What did they have, like a minivan or something? And I see my mom and my siblings, they're already inside. And then at last I see my dad walk out slow and get in. Now, it's funny, not like ha-ha funny, but it's funny like where did this come from? That I did not remember this moment until two weeks ago when I took my son, Emerson, who you've, many of you have known since he was three, to college. Time and memory, like it, it triggers us. It's triggered by the ritual that, by the way, if you're not privileged or you can't bribe anybody, it's hard to go to school this privileged few of us to get to, to send our children to college. But it triggered me 29 years, my friends, between that moment in Beloit, Wisconsin, and now, 29 years of opportunity to step toward the door and feel the closeness, and 29 years of stepping back again, the distance too far. 29 years. And I think about time is, is that we always think we'll have more of it. So 
we let ourselves avoid the hard conversations, the necessary conversations, the hugs instead of the handshakes. We let ourselves avoid the opening of the door instead of keeping that door closed because we think, well, you know, hey, there's, there's always tomorrow. There's always next time. There's always next season. There's always next September. There's next year. Until it isn't. Now, I know you're thinking, well, that's, geez, Nathan, it's so beautiful out. It's like really sad. <laughs> it's really sad. And you're right. It is sad. It, it needs to be said in a room so we all can hear it, that it is sad that pride and tension and real hurt from things done and left undone in our families keep us from telling each other the true things that we need to say. It's sad. It is sad that my dad died one year ago in August which meant that I couldn't call him last week after I remembered the story and tell him I'm sorry for being a jerk kid on the side of the highway. And I'm sorry I was, I didn't tell you how impressed I was with your MacGyver trick. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Dad because I really wish that I had opened the door. I really do. But I want us to know what helps because I need your help to grow my soul. And I think that we need each other's help to do that. I want us to know, having learned it well from the Catholic nuns of my childhood, and man, they were tough, that the guilt that doesn't lead us to do anything different with our time is kind of like the heat that came off the engine of my Scirocco. And what I mean is that it's wasted, useless energy. If guilt doesn't change you, I mean, try something different. I want us to know that breaking the guilt cycle, as the reading that Jeff shared for us, begins when, when we admit that we, boy, we let people down. I've, I'm sure I've let you down as your minister. We let people down. And sometimes the people we let down are the people we love the most. And sometimes the people we let down are ourselves. And I want us to know that even when the time has elapsed and the person that we need to open the door to is no longer there because they got bladder cancer in three weeks and died, I want us to know that it doesn't mean that we don't still have a chance to interrupt the pattern, okay? I want us to know that when it was time for me to say goodbye to Emerson and 
even though he's close by, he's in Boston, but the, it's not that. It's that the time has changed. It's a new season for him and for us. I want us to know that I remembered that story in that dorm room, and I left the door open. And I hugged him into me like I was squeezing him like a sponge. And I told him I loved him. Because the only moment we have to speak our love is now. It is here. The future is not assured. Despite all our beautiful ways of pretending, we don't know. I want us to know that changes can be made. I want us to know that one way we can redeem our mistakes with one family member is to show the other family members that we have learned something and we have grown. That is one way that I believe redemption can be practiced. And I want us to know, friends, that counting our time and cherishing our time rather than looking ahead to the promise of tomorrow is our work. I want to, are you counting your time? I mean, I'm bad at this. Are you bad at this? Looking at my stupid phone all the time? I want, I want myself and I want you to live our time, as Forrest Church said, as though it were worth dying for. I want us to live with urgency. I want us to pay attention to those of whom the door has been closed. You have somebody. I know you do. I want to know with whom you've got your hand pressed up against the wood and your head, your forehead is against the door and your tears of separation are flowing. You know who this is in your life and you feel their presence on the other side of the door and I want you to count the seconds of that moment. I want you to ask yourself, what am I going to do next? Because this is the good news. I always end on good news. Because that's what I believe. This moment right here, this beautiful day, this moment right here, this is like, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the start of our new life right here, right now, this moment. Who's knocking at your door? Whose door are you knocking at? What are you going to do next? What are you going to say? Never mind about counting the time. How do you want to make this next moment count? That's my question for me and for you.